This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Located in Central Florida, Reformation Bible College seeks to equip students in the knowledge of God and His holiness, that they may glorify and enjoy Him in any career they enter. The founder of RBC, Dr. R.C. Sproul, carefully designed the curriculum to provide students with a classical education that is distinctly Reformed. In addition to receiving a firm theological foundation in the Reformed tradition, students have the opportunity to grow as they know, serve, and worship the Lord together in community with like-minded believers. Whether attending a weekly chapel service, catching up with a neighbor in the on-campus residence hall, or meeting with a professor at the cafe, and RBC Education provides students with plenty of opportunities to take the biblical truth learned in the classroom and put it into daily practice. Incoming students can win a full tuition scholarship for their first year of on-campus studies through RBC's annual essay contest. This year, students are invited to submit essays on themes related to the Apostles' Creed. Entries must be received by March 1st, 2024, so start writing today and enter to win at reformationbiblecollege.org slash essay. If you'd like more information about RBC, visit reformationbiblecollege.org or send an email to admissions at reformationcollege.org. And welcome to Dwell, the Circe Institute podcast for homeschool moms by homeschool moms. I am your host, Karen Kern, and I'm here today with my co-host, Renee Mathis. Hi, Renee. Hey, Karen. It's good to see you. Good to see you. And we are here again with Valerie Abraham. If you listen to our previous podcast, you will have heard us chat with her about her new life out there in Idaho, where she lives with her husband, Matthew, and her three boys, having just moved there a year ago from North Carolina, where she was practically neighbors with us. And now she is homesteading, taking care of her boys and all of her animals. And we talked about um, 
all the challenges in front of that and doing it all while living in a trailer and RV because you are remodeling your home. So that was a really fun conversation. It was good to see you as we get to see each other when we're talking and to hear your story. And then when we signed back on to do this episode, I overheard you and Renee just now talking about cheese. Mm-hmm. So let's just jump right in here where we left off our little conversation about your cheese importing business. Uh, jump in that. <laughs> well, thank you for having me back. So yes, Renee and I were just discussing um, one of our more um, out-of-the-box, unexpected endeavors over the last year um, after moving out here, getting animals and things like that, and then also my husband working on a new business, we discovered that it was very hard to get good cheese out here. Um, A long time ago growing up, there had been a little cheese shop, but they closed, uh, I forget how many years ago, so our options were, were very limited. And when we lived in um, Charlotte, there was a cheese shop um, in downtown Charlotte that we just loved going to, and we really missed them and the way that they were passionate about cheese and um, could help you know guide you to the right cheese and also just get cheeses that aren't usually accessible in American supermarkets. So we talked to them and they were really kind and helpful, put us in touch with the right people. Um, and we found out that by becoming a wholesaler and distributor, we could um, both get better cheeses for ourselves and help our friends around us get better cheeses. So we um, opened a little side business called Sabbath Store because part of our long-term goal with this is to um, cultivate the the idea of what Sabbath means and what feasting through uh, Sabbath means. Um, so help people uh, enjoy enjoy good food more, enjoy good French food more. Um, I, I think I may have forgotten to mention my dad is French and my mom's American. So I grew up with a lot of very good French cheese, um, hence why it was particularly near and dear to my heart to to make that more accessible to at least this little corner of, of America. Oh. So what is your favorite cheese? Oh, do I have to pick a favorite child too? Okay, no, no, just pick one. <laughs> How about this? What is, what is one cheese that you think... Those of us who are not familiar would would do well to learn to appreciate. Maybe one that you would recommend. We ah, oh well, in that case, hmm. um, probably honestly, just about anything within the entire family of goat cheeses. Um, because one thing I found out when moving to the U.S. is that in America, usually goat cheese just means one thing. It's that you know super sealed log that you get at Publix or whatever um, that that has a pleasant taste, but it. It does tend to be a little one-dimensional um it's almost like a you know cream cheese texture and it's um it's it's a great starting point but it's just like that's one very small facet of the goat cheese world and in france goat cheese alone is just this this incredibly broad world of all different kinds from soft young cheeses the a little bit more like american goat cheese to all different kinds of um very ripened very very aged goat cheeses uh, classic one would be a crottin, which refers to the oh, shape. Uh, C-R-O-T-T-I-N. And, okay. And that one, there's a number of different varieties of it, depending on the region, what the tr- cheese making traditions are, what kind of goats they're working with, what kind of um, terroir, you know, what kind of uh, soils and grasses are involved in, in what the uh, goats are eating. 
And um, that one ages, so it starts out soft um, with a slightly wrinkly rind, gets very, very, very mature, hardens so that you almost have to chip away at it eventually, changes color, gets a lot of new colors that can be a little intimidating your first time because, you know, we often tend to think in Western society of mold as a bad thing, but not all molds are created equal. <laughs> and the the uh, molds that are inside cheese are, um, it's surprisingly hard actually to mess them up. Um, they they really, if you get a good, a good um, sort of ecosystem going with your cheese, those, those good molds will really just do their job. So um, it gets a little fuzzy. Most people do prefer to scrape off the actual fuzzy stuff and just eat what's underneath. Um, and the flavors, though, just keep developing and keep changing as, as the cheese ages. So I consider myself fairly American in that I don't like it too, too aged. I don't like having to scrape the visible mold off. Um, I'm not a huge fan of things moving on my cheese. Although my French grandmother <laughs> has been known to eat the cheese when it is literally moving. And she knew it was moving. She told us that that was part of the charm and ate it. So I prefer a little bit more Americanized. <laughs> so is this something, Valerie, that I could, I, if I went, I mean, I'm in a cheese impoverished <laughs> location as well. But but I, I do have a Whole Foods an hour and a half away. Yeah. If I, would, would Whole Foods, something like that kind of a store, probably sell at least some kind of goat cheese? They they might. They would certainly have more variety than most more readily accessible grocery stores. I'm trying to think what we don't have a Whole Foods near us anymore. We used to. Um trying to think what we used to find there. Another now, Karen, one, Karen has Trader Joe's, so we can both be jealous. <laughs> <laughs> I love my Trader Joe's cheese. Trader Joe's has a good selection. But I'm sure that, you know, straight from France is much superior. I'm sure. <laughs> Another one, actually, that I just thought of that you might be able to find at a Whole Foods would be uh, Mimolette. It's a bright, bright orange cheese. Um, if I tell you about it, it's going to sound less appetizing. It's a sort of cheese you have to just trust the cheesemakers and enjoy it. Um, but basically, part of what gives it complexity and develops the rind and a little bit of the interior is the presence of mites, what are called cheese mites. And they, as the cheese ages, burrow in and um give give some extra flavor and then they don't get in past um a little bit of the rind so you're not actually eating the mites when you eat the cheese unless you eat the rind which is too hard to eat anyway it's kind of like a parmesan rind um but it has a a very sharp um kind of almost almost like an irish cheddar flavor um and it's just it's a very very fun cheese to eat it would go well with apples things like that and I think you might be able to find that at some um, national chains like Whole Foods. Can you spell that one? That is M-I-M-O-L-E-T-T-E. Okay. They've made it through U.S. Customs, which means that there can't be anything that's too terrifying in it. Because Customs has even tried to ban Roquefort at one time, which was a travesty. But <laughs> Why? What would there be in Roquefort that they would want to... I believe it was that, trying to remember, which it was either that it was um, raw. And so in America, that that is part of the complexity. We can't get cheese um, that is raw milk and aged less than 60 days. If it's raw, it has to be aged more than 60, which actually rules out a lot of the really, really good French cheeses. So that's that's a little secret sorrow for us to bear until the FDA loosens up a little and comes to terms with the beauty of, of the bacterial world. <laughs> um, 
Oh, very well. So what cheeses do you import? So you have your, your little micro business. Yeah. Cheese importing. What are some of your kinds? And let's just say somebody wants to find out more. How do they, how do they find out what you're importing and how to get it? It's um, our website is very rough still. It's a very, very micro micro business, um, but we try whenever we order cheese. So we've been uh, slowing down during the summer, partly because of things like having a house renovation going on and a baby on the way, taking up a little bit of time. But um, we're planning to get more stock in for for Thanksgiving and Christmas for all those those festive occasions, and um, it really changes a lot. So there's certain cheeses that we order pretty regularly because they're just the great classics of French and Swiss. We do get some Swiss cheeses as well. So um, Clière would be one of those, which is one that you can find in the U.S., but we have a particular uh, producer that we like to seek out who actually left the Gruyere Appalachian um, in the 1930s. So long before any of this, you know, more modern culture of going back to food roots. In the 1930s, they saw that Gruyere was already becoming a highly industrialized, standardized cheese. And they said, no, we want to preserve the ancestral customs of how we make this. Um, and so they named their new kind of split-off appellation uh, Litivaz after one of the villages in Switzerland where it's made. And I think some of the things, for example, making that involve um, the cows have to be grazing at I forget what altitude, but basically high altitude before they can start using the milk to make the cheese so that they're actually getting um, the true alpine flavor, not the lower altitude grasses that change the flavor. So high altitude grazing um, on on grass and wildflowers, natural uh, fauna or flora. Um, and then they use open fire copper cauldrons to make the cheese when they're going through the um, slight heating process before they press it. Um, and then I, there's probably aging requirements as well. I can't remember those, but you can even occasionally find a little fleck of ash in your cheese when you're buying itivas because it's still made, you know, it's not made in a factory. It's still made over these huge open fires with copper cauldrons. So it's a lot more small family farms that produce it, um, all over this particular area of Switzerland. So what's your website? It is. I believe sabbathstore.com. Okay. It should just be that. Second guessing suddenly. If it looks a little sketchy, you're probably looking at a Black Sabbath fan site. Oh, Don't no. go there. Don't oh, go there. No. <laughs> Good to know. I should make sure and people don't mistype that then. <laughs> sabbathstore.com. So how many, like, how many cheeses do you try to have available at a time. Um, it does it can, be kind of an expensive endeavor for you to ship this stuff over, right? Right. It's um, it's not the most profitable endeavor always. It's a very fun endeavor because it's it's a cause we can really get behind. <laughs> um, let's see. I'm trying to think. Maybe up to about eight at a time. Another mm -hmm. thing we do specifically for winter is get in uh, multiple different raclette cheeses. Um, so raclette, if you're familiar with that, is a um, Swiss. There's some, they make it a little bit in France, but it's primarily in Switzerland. And um, another, you know, pretty high alpine pastures, usually um, semi-hard cheese. 
that is traditionally served melted, which is actually where the name comes from. Racle means to scrape in French. So raclette is the, the scraped cheese. So you melt very, the old school way of doing it is to have an open fire, open hearth, have the cheese mounted on a spit basically, or a wheel, and then hold it up to the fire. As it starts to melt, you scrape it over uh, potatoes or over bread, serve it with dry cured meats, um, the little uh, French cornichon pickles or pickled onions, things like that. And yeah, we've enjoyed that at your house. Yes. We did the oven with a flame, but we had your... On the little, version. right. So the more modern version yeah. of the griddle. Lovely. Um, but yeah, it's a wonderfully festive cheese and is very often served either if you're high enough in the mountains for it to get cold or at Christmas in the rest of uh, Switzerland and France and I think Germany as well. So mm-hmm. we try to get a few different versions to com- for people to compare from different uh, producers. Mallory, it's so obvious listening to you that you have such a passion for not only, you know, good food and served in a beautiful setting, but in- enjoying the feasting aspect with other you know, family and friends. And in fact, that's one of the ways I got to know you was you invited me to your home for dinner. And you mentioned your dad is a literally a French chef. He's from France. He's a native and he was trained classically. Mm-hmm. And I believe he opened a restaurant when y'all moved to the United States. So tell yeah. us a little bit about growing up with in that kind of environment and, and how did that help you learn to cook and to be hospitable? And, and how have you taken that forward into your own home? So yeah, we moved here to the U.S. in 2005 and started a restaurant the next year, which was not something any of us had anticipated my dad doing after he took a year of sabbatical because he was a full-time pastor and church planter before that. But um, we started a restaurant called West of Paris. Um, I think every single family member at some point ended up working there. I started when I was 13 as a dishwasher and then um, eventually worked with my dad as an apprentice as well which is the common model in France, is to work as an apprentice under a chef. That was how he was trained. And then worked front-end as well, some serving. My brothers were both servers um, there. And I think the thing that was the most memorable about it is that my for my parents, this really was a form of hospitality, not just a way to put bread on our own table at home. You know, truly everyone who walked in that door was not just a a body to be fed, but a soul to be fed. I mean, I, I can still remember my dad basically having pastoral counseling sessions with some of the clients who came in. Like he would just sit down with them and they would just start talking because you get good food, you get good French wine, and you get someone who actually loves you as a person and you just start talking. Um, and, and yeah, they still have lifelong relationships from some of the people that they met there um, and got to serve food to. That, that that they still know today and it, it really was a a very unique dynamic and and I think people sensed that when they came in mm-hmm. wow. so how do you um I know that you're very hospitable and it's probably um hindered a little bit by living in a trailer you can't really <laughs> have another family over for dinner and sit around your little table right. but you still are hospitable to your family and your friends from church so how does that look a little different? Um, it, I think, yeah, I think the biggest shift is just learning to to lean into it and to see it as a challenge instead of just a flat obstacle. Like, okay, well, we can't do that anymore. Because I think initially for a while I was kind of like, oh, well, that's just off the table. And then I realized, no, there are there are still ways if I if I push, if I think outside the box, that we can do this, even if it looks a little different than it used to. 
Um, so we had friends visiting actually earlier this week and we realized, you know, we can't really do a full meal in, in the RV, but we can start out here, have some appetizers and a glass of wine and still be able to, to bring them kind of into our lives instead of just meeting in, in a neutral third party space. Um, and so then after we had the appetizer, we ended up going to a restaurant, finishing up there so we could actually have a full, full meal with them, but we still got to, to share that part of our lives with them. Um, and yeah, I think it just takes learning to rethink, I think the why you do hospitality too, because it's easy to get caught up in hospitality is, you know, a dining room or having enough chairs for everyone or being able to put this many dishes on the table. Um, and, and instead of remembering that ultimately it's about breaking bread with, with people and like my parents did in a restaurant setting, you know, loving them as, as eternal souls with the means of food, whatever that looks like, whether it's an eight course French dinner or whether it's just a few appetizers, very simply served, um, in, in a little bitty RV dinette table. Yeah. Well, I know that you have a gift for that. We've, you know, been on the receiving end and I really appreciate that. Well, we are looking forward to having a house that we can hopefully host all of you in. <laughs> soon what are some resources that you would recommend for someone that like oh, i don't know how to cook or mm. uh, i don't i don't know if i can do this how do, how do you start small with what you have do you have a favorite cookbook or a website or mm. oh that's a good question i think a lot of it has to do with getting over yourself which i've had to do a lot of in the last year especially with limitations of things like pregnancy low energy uh morning sickness it's it's very easy to get caught up in what you you would like to be doing and that might not be a bad goal to be shooting for down the road you know down the road i would like to be able to cook a lot more efficiently right now i'm still the world's most inefficient cook um i'm i'm not like my dad in that respect and uh i had to go through a little bit of a disenchantment period when i got married because i had grown up eating so much amazing food so i knew what really good food ought to taste like um, I knew what my dad's food tasted like, and I thought I could cook that because I had helped him so much. But um, I discovered it's a very different thing when you're actually running your own household and also being the the chief person in charge of the hospitality, and that things don't always turn out like you think they will in that kind of setting. So it was a very humbling experience, and Matthew was a very, very patient guinea pig even if he did almost have to use a saw to cut through a pork chop once that I served him. <laughs> um, but just getting out there and doing it and knowing that it's okay to be in a place now that might not be, you know, where you dream of being in, in 10 years with a lot more experience under your belt. Um, but that, is it Chesterton who said, anything worth doing is worth doing badly? Um, and learning to just really lean into that. And it can be messy. Um, there are different, you know, right now we're in a season, even when we do have a house with this many kids, staying on top of a perfect house is just not going to happen. So I've had to learn to not let the barrier of wanting a perfect house um, to host people in a very pristine state get in the way of just sharing, sharing some of our lives with people um, and letting them come into the mess in a way that I've started to learn can sometimes even make them feel more comfortable because they don't feel like they're stepping into a museum piece. They feel like they're just part of your lives and that you're not standing um, on all these ceremonies with them. And I think on a practical level, um, there's a great book 
actually by someone who lives like 15 minutes from uh, where we used to live in North Carolina. Uh, if I'm pronouncing your name right, Michaelin Smith. Yes, yes. We talked about her on a previous yeah. podcast. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah, she has a fantastic book. It's kind of more about house decorating and interior design in, in one part, but really delves into the attitude behind hospitality as well. Um, and and how you can let things get in the way or you can um, just accept where you are at that stage and still be hospitable, welcome people into your home. And then on the cooking side, um, I think it's partly a matter of just trying a lot of things because everyone's going to have a very different cooking style and um, different uh, flavor preferences even. So we do a lot of French and a lot of Middle Eastern because my husband's half Egyptian. Um, so for the Middle Eastern side of things, anything by Yotam Otolenghi is just fantastic. Um, they're fairly approachable recipes and really creative flavor combinations with that kind of uh, Mediterranean and Middle Eastern twist. Do you know how to spell his name? I'm like right off the top of your head. I believe it's <laughs> Y-O-T-A-M for the first name. And then uh-huh. Otolenghi is O-T-T-O-L-E-N-G-H-I. Okay. And then also for a lot of takes on classics that are a little bit just simpler than the classics often are written down, uh, Smitten Kitchen is a great resource. So oh, as, yes. <laughs> she has yeah, one, one cookbook you told me about. I think it was after you hosted um, the gathering, the Cersei gathering at your house. Simple Cake. Yes. By Odette. Odette something. Williams. Yes, simple Mm -hmm. cake. She has some wonderfully simple uh, recipes in there and her her basic chocolate cake. I have used that so many times. It it is simple. You don't even need to frost it. You can make a really simple whipped cream to go on top. You can make a caramel sauce. You can put ice cream on it. You can turn it into a trace leches cake. Right. And that's simple cake. What's that? Simple yeah. cake, Odette Williams. Yeah. Right. So her premise is kind okay. of like we need ten cakes and recipes. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they're they're very approachable. And again, like that kind of streamlined approach. What do you actually need? Because a lot of cookbooks are written, like actually, I feel like I'm saying speaking heresy saying this. Julia Child is a great example of a very complicated cookbook. She it's the very perfectionist approach. And I love Julia Child, but it is very detail-oriented, very labor-intensive. And something like Simple Cake or Smitten Kitchen looks at a lot of those same ideas, same concepts and says, okay, how can we actually make this doable for a normal person with kids (laughs) to actually get good food on the table for guests? So um, also actually another resource that I um, have more recently stumbled on is a podcast called, um, oh, I am blinking on the name. Uh, Is it What's for Dinner? Come over for dinner? Come over for dinner. Thank you. (laughs) Yes, um, that is a great resource. It's basically, um, it was a mom in our community. I don't know if I've ever even, I've met her maybe once or something, but she goes to my church and just recently she moved from the South to the Northwest. And I'm not sure if it was maybe kind of the inspiration of seeing these two cultures come together that inspired her, but she started a podcast on dinner hospitality in particular 
and um, just interviewing moms. So interviewing all these women who, and sometimes men too. In fact, I think she interviewed my dad, um, but just, you know, how do you do it? What are your tips? And so learning from fellow women, not from someone on TV, not just from internet influencers, even though I love some of their recipes too, but, you know, learning from fellow, um, fellow Christian moms who really have a heart for hospitality and for what. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hospitality represents not, not entertaining in the sense of showing off, but just truly loving people by having them into your home. I, I fully expect you to be a guest on her show any day. <laughs> that's right up your alley. Yeah, that's a great resource. That's a lot of fun. Um, well, Valerie, it's been so good to talk to you again and and just to hear some some more insights from you. And I, I mean, I can say as one who has sat around your table and actually missed an airplane flight because we were having so much fun at dinner. Um, so I actually had to spend an extra night in Charlotte because I missed my flight. But um, you and Matthew truly do have a, a way of, of loving and, and serving your guests and friends and making making us feel just right at home around your table. And, and I look forward to seeing what the Lord's going to do as you um, grow and expand and, and get back into your, not back into, get into your, your newer, bigger house and, and, and see what, what's going to happen. But thank you for modeling that joy and gratitude for us and reminding us that our circumstances are not the most important thing. It's our heart and our, our desire to serve. So thank you for being with us and here's to home. Thank you. And you all need to come up to Idaho to have some French cheese and wine, whether it's in an RV or in a new house. I'm there. I'm there. Yeah. Mm. All right. We'll see y'all next time. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you all. Bye. Good Bye. to see you.